It is Easter week. Easter week is fascinating to me because of the way it's celebrated around the world. Multiple traditions, every language imaginable. We will join with people in the one great week of life change around the world. It's a week with uh, lots of highs and lows. We just think of the original Palm Sunday, wanting to make Jesus, crown him King of the Jews, celebrating all of who he was and what he had done. And then to have a terrible trial and a crucifixion and think, how could this go so hopelessly wrong all in a few days, only to have a resurrection? It's just an incredible week. It's all about life change, the series we've been doing. So today, I want to make a unique transition from Palm Sunday to our text. And I want to bring up a unique, odd Palm Sunday passage. We're speaking today from Exodus 8, the plague of the frogs. Come on, think about it. How long has it been since you've heard a stirring, stirring message on the plague of the frogs from Exodus 8? It's been a while. I'm looking at some of you. I bet it was at least the 60s for some of you since you've heard one of these. So uh, strap in. Let's look at the plague of the frogs from Exodus 8 on this Palm Sunday 07. You consider when it's time to change, what does it really look like? I'll pick up the narrative in Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go, that they might worship me. If they refuse, then I will send a plague on the whole country with frogs. Now, let's just pause for a minute. If you want to intimidate somebody, what, what, what do you use? What, what symbol works best? I know, frogs. Now, I'm, I'm sure if they thought about it, they would have gone for the, the large, uh, poisonous uh, toads that they find in Western Australia. Those would be more intimidating, uh, especially the kind making the news. But they didn't. They just used those little, those little frogs. You know, not, not the toads the size of small dogs. Um, which, by the way, is really going to help your tourism. I mean, everybody, it's, it's the symbol now. Everybody wants to come to WA from around the world. And never mind, we'll move on. Um, but if you think about it, it's just an odd thing. Now, let's, let's get the setting. The setting is, Moses is the head of a slave movement. Literally, they were, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. The glory days were gone. They were just stuck there. They were slaves. He was the leader of the slave movement. He went to Pharaoh, who was the, uh, the leader of one of the strongest countries of the known world at that time. And he goes to him and says, and Let my people go, let the people of God go, that we might worship God. And if you don't, we're going to make sure God sends frogs. It's an odd setting. So if you're going to do something like this, the life change process, then... Carefully assess the situation. What's it really look like? Determine your mission, which Moses did, and the role he would play. In this whole series on life change, we've talked numerous times about the part God's responsible for and the part that you're responsible for. See, this is just one more time when Moses knew this. Moses knew the part he was to play. He knew he couldn't go up against Pharaoh and just intimidate him and win. But he knew that God could. And so he did his part. He just went and spoke the words that God had given him to speak and said, 
take care of this. Let's look at it from Pharaoh's perspective for just a minute. Pharaoh was, as we said, leader, ruler, one of the strongest countries in the known world at the time. When you have that role, you pretty well get what you want. We just get so get used to the way things are and think, like, it's just how it is for me. And it's always odd when somebody comes and wants you to change and do something different. We all fit that role. Pharaoh did. Sometimes we do. When you know it's time to change, let's look at how the passage moves on in verse 3. Know what resources are at your disposal. Moses goes on to tell Pharaoh what this is going to be like in great detail. He says, The Nile will teem with frogs. They'll come up into your palace, into your bedroom, onto your bed, into your houses. Those of you, your officials, your people, into your ovens, into your kneading troughs, every place you will have frogs. The frogs will be on you. I love that phrase. On you and on your people and on all of your officials. So Moses doesn't just leave it and say, hey, come on, you're going to get a bunch of frogs. He goes, no, no, no. This is going to be very specific. There's going to be heaps of these. Moses knew Australian. We're going to have heaps of these, and they're going to be every place, and they're going to be in here and over here and up there and on you. Now, it's one thing if you get up in the middle of the night, you have to go to the toilet, you go and there's frogs. That's just annoying. But if you open the refrigerator in, in there, and every place you go, there's frogs. This is more than annoying. This is like, will you do something to get rid of these things? See God in his purpose and his power. God has this very real ability to do this. As the passage moves on, let's take a look at this. So Aaron stretched out his hand in verse 6. The frogs came every place. Verse 7. This is a funny verse. The magicians who were in Egypt at the time did the same thing by their secret arts. Ooh, their secret arts. They did the same thing. And they made double frogs. Now, when people are trying to have a power show, they don't often think of the implications. There's already more frogs than anybody wants. So the magicians decide, hey, we can match them. We're going to create more frogs. And so they do. And now they have double frogs. And I'm sure Pharaoh or some of those people went to the magicians and went, uh, what were you guys thinking? Yeah, like this is like a way to demonstrate your power and you can do this. Think through the implications first. Will you please? We don't want double frogs. It's, it's fun being here in Australia, especially you watch the news and realize that uh, in the eastern states you've got the, uh, the battle that goes on between Melbourne and Sydney. Which one has bragging rights and our city's better than yours and all this stuff. Although, we do just want to take a moment and recognize that uh, the Eagles did beat Sydney yesterday. So, yeah. Uh, it was, forgive me, it was just cheap on my part. It's just a way to get a few of you excited about church. So, yeah. But here's the point. They, they, were, uh, they battle. Who's, who's got bragging rights? Now, coming from the eastern part of the U.S., we have this battle that uh, rages between Chicago. There is a phrase called deep dish Chicago pizza. Now, by just saying those words, some people, it brings healing to their soul. 
We spent, Diana and I and her family spent nine years there. Deep dish Chicago pizza is just the norm. I mean, this, this stuff's just, it's a meal in and of itself with one slice. But when we went to New York, now for 16 years, they have this little thin stuff, sort of greasy stuff. Hey, it's New York pizza. And in their mind, there's nothing better any place in the world. Now, I bring this up because around the world, people love their pizza different ways. Double cheese, double uh, pepperoni, double lots of things. I don't know anybody who wants double frogs. They got double frogs. So notice what happens next. Pharaoh summons Moses in verse 8. Moses and Aaron, and he says, Okay, pray to the Lord that these frogs get out of here. And then I'll let you and your people go worship and do whatever you want to do. Now, what makes it fascinating and difficult in a passage like this is you can't tell. I don't care how good a scholar you are. You can't tell the emotional tone of this passage. What was, what was the tone? What was the look on Pharaoh's face? Was he just annoyed and went, look, whatever it takes to get rid of these frogs, get rid of these frogs. Like, I'm commanding you to do this. Was he using his authority and being the big guy? Whatever it takes to get rid of these frogs, you guys take care of them now. And then I'll take care of the other stuff. But you take care of this stuff. We don't know if he was kind of whining. You get rid of the frogs. Like, I hate frogs. I, I really hate frogs. Now we have double frogs. Just get rid of the frogs. I'll take care of this. I'll negotiate with you. You can do what you want to do. Notice verse 9 as it's on the screen. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave before you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and for your officials and for your people and for your houses. You may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Capture this phrase, please. Capture this. The great God of the universe, the Father of your soul, the one who has the power to change the courses of history, honors and regards you so much as an individual that he says, I set before you the honor of deciding when your life change will take place. God will honor you as a person in the decisions you make. Please capture this. You see, when we deal with other people, we wish sometimes God pushed a little harder, demanded more, made them do it even sometimes. We would absolutely hate it if he did that to us. It violates our human will. One of the things that I so appreciate about God is he does not violate human will. That's his honor and regard for you. Come on, there's some of us here that deserve for God to kick our backsides really hard. Come on, let's be honest. But it's not how he works. Capture the essence of this verse. I set before you the honor. I set before you the honor of deciding the time. See the power of the decisions you make or don't make. And God leaves it with you. His regard for you. His honor for you to decide the time when you will be prayed for to be changed. Now, Moses offers this to Pharaoh. The very next verse gives us Pharaoh's response. When are you going to change, Pharaoh? Mm, tomorrow. Tomorrow. When I read this, I go, Pharaoh, what are you thinking, buddy? 
You've got frogs everywhere. More frogs than anybody wants. More frogs than anybody have ever seen. You can get rid of them now. When are you going to change? Mm, tomorrow. Pharaoh, what's your thing with frogs, buddy? You like them? You want to sleep with the frogs one more night? What are you thinking? Because tomorrow. Tomorrow is always the day of human nature. When do diets begin? Tomorrow. Saturday nights, people have had way too much to drink. What do they say to themselves or the people closest to them? This is the last time I'm going to do this. I'm changing tomorrow. When do people change? It's always not today. Pharaoh epitomizes this force. Pharaoh, you can get rid of these things. When are you going to do it? Yeah, tomorrow. Now, I have to apologize. I, I don't like country music. For some of you, that's not an apology. You're going, good on you. Um, I just hope the people in charge of heaven uh, can get vetoed if they want um, country music, because it, it would be dreadful for me. But I think there's a country music song here waiting to be written. Give me one more night with the frogs. Go on, a deep bass line. Give me one more night. Give me one more night with the frogs. I'm not sure it's going to revolutionize country music as we know it, but I think it'd have a small but twisted following. <laughs> Much like country music does. <laughs> yes! Give me one more night with the frogs, Pharaoh says. Just one more night. So God says, fine, that's what you want. It's literally what Moses and Aaron say to him. Fine. You want one more night with frogs? We'll pray tomorrow that the frogs will be gone. Verses 11 and following, it says just that. Here's what's going to happen. Verse 12, Moses and Aaron left. Moses said to the Lord, let the frogs go. Take care of them. And the Lord did just that. Listen to this. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, in the fields. They were piled into heaps. And the whole land reeked of them. Come on, don't just read this. Look at it. You can see these piles of frogs. You can see them. You can sense them. You can hear it. You can smell it. Dead frogs in piles every place. When you read this passage, life change principle carefully determined before God your own issues of when you're going to decide for this big life change to take place. It's what Palm Sunday and Easter are about. Address your stubbornness issues, your willing spirit issues. There's one, probably one more to add to this. There's some of us here who just, much like Pharaoh, just assume, I'm okay. I don't, I don't think I need to change. I just want to say to you, in this, this Easter week, a couple of times, just say to God, if I was to change, what might it be? If I was to, like, say to you, God, got one thing you want to address, what might it be? Just ask him. He's got something, he'll let you know. Watch the screen for this final verse of this passage. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, wouldn't listen to Moses or Aaron, just as the Lord had said. This life change process. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of us don't really want deep change. We just want some initial relief for the worst of the symptoms of our life. 
Pharaoh is one of those people. So let's ask questions. Am I really willing to change or do I just want some relief? Or some of the worst symptoms that appear from time to time. When we started this life change series, I told you that I put together a survey and now surveyed over 1,500 people. and asked them four life change questions. I want to come, since we're nearing the end of this series, I wanted to bring them back and ask them one more time. Let's go through the four life change questions that I've now asked over 1,500 people. Question number one, since coming to a personal faith in Jesus Christ, what's changed most in your life? Remember when I first started asking this, I, I wish I would have had videotapes running. Because it was fun to watch people's faces. I mean, even if you didn't check anything else, just their faces. They'd get a smile and their eyes would brighten and their voice would lift. Of course, some people used their hands and their hands were going every place. And they'd tell the story of life change. It was fun listening to their stories. Sometimes I actually had to cut them off because they were going on way too long. So just, just stop. I, I get the picture. You're excited. Good on you. Question number two. What area of your life did you expect to change that hasn't changed as much as you'd hoped for? The facial expressions change dramatically. Voice changes. People start to look down. You know, I had big hopes for my family or for my marriage or my finances or my life. It just hasn't gone quite like I hoped it would. Question number three, I almost quit based on this one. In the life change process, Come on, just be honest. Why haven't you changed more? Come on, we know that passage. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, and all things, uh, past, old things passed away, and all things become new. Come on, why aren't you more new? I almost quit based on this one. Because the same people just a few minutes earlier were excited, and there was lifting their voice, and they were waving their arms dramatically about how much their life had changed. All of a sudden, turned to whiners. I don't don't do well with whiners. I'm not very tolerant of whiners. And they'd start whining. It's just so hard. My my initial response is, I just want to smack people. Go, stop it. Come on. My next instinct is, I want to yell at you. And I want to say, come on. God gave his son for you. Jesus gave his life for you. And you're whining that it's a little hard? What's with you? Then I remember I'm supposed to be an objective researcher. And it doesn't do much good to actually yell at people. Why haven't you changed more? It's a good question. But you don't stop there. Because question number four is the real life change question. What resources do you need if you're going to move to that next level of life change? Because all of us need something. Encouragement, hope, kick in the pants, some structures... Uh, uh, an experience, a celebration, a ceremony, something to help us move to that next level. Last November, Diane and I had a unique experience. We took a team of 24 younger leaders from across Canada and the U.S. to Germany. We uh, sponsored a a young leaders, a transcultural young leaders conference there in, uh, in East Germany. We had people born from, uh, in 11 countries, and uh, I wanted to research this one topic. I wanted to see if you took 25-year-olds from around the world, 25-year-olds who are university educated, how much in common did they have with other 25-year-olds? 
from other countries and regions of the world. My sense was that we live in such a global community and technology and information has made us such, uh, our value system such, that, for example, a 25-year-old Australian will have more in common with a 25-year-old New Yorker or a 25-year-old German than they will with a 45-year-old Aussie. And the research actually documented that and proved that. And so as we pulled this together, we had people born in 11 countries. And as we were working on this, uh, was next level of your leadership development. And one of the afternoons I worked on next level of your emotional development. I'll pause for a quick advertisement, commercial. The, uh, in four weeks, the last Sunday of April, um, we are sponsoring along with Subi Church uh, a seminar called Next Level of Your Emotional, Spiritual, and Character Development. Watch for some details on that. But this was some of the early stages this last fall. I just begun to put the material together. And this part was on emotional development. And I just said in passing, if enough of you are interested, we're going to hold a, a ceremony on our last night on how to, if you feel like you're stuck emotionally, how are you going to move to the next level? I just said, if enough of you are interested, we're going to have one. If you're interested, let me know. Well, it was funny because the Germans immediately came. And the Germans said, Germans don't do feelings. They said, don't ask us to do it, especially in public. We don't do it. I said, fine, you're, you're not the only people here. We got people from 11, 10 other countries, so you don't have to do it. Uh, but if other people want it, we're going to do it. It was funny, the Swiss came, and the Swiss said, Swiss, don't do feelings, especially in public. I said, fine, you have your cheese. Um, you, don't, you don't have to be emotional people. That's fine. Just stay where you are, eat your cheese, go home. It's fine. And uh, I said, but if enough people want to do it, we're going to do one of these ceremonies. And uh, enough people said they wanted it. And I said, if it's just a handful, we will. And enough wanted it. So on our final evening, we gathered. This was an amazing facility in, uh, in East Germany. It was a big old bombed-out church, um, large church. And they'd done enough restoration that it could be used, but you could still see how holes had been blown into the side of it. It was really an incredible place. So that evening, we gathered, and uh, we lined a dozen people up on each side, a row much like this. And we'd have the young leader stand at that end and had them declare their name. A, because we didn't know everybody there, and B, it was part of declaring their identity. And we'd say to them, what do you want to leave behind? And what do you want to ask God for if you're going to move to the next level? And then we would call them into the fullness of their manhood or womanhood. I had to get women to help me. I'm not good at calling women in the fullness of their womanhood. Um, but we'd have some women help us. And we'd say, come and walk down through this row of people. And so some 24, 25 people would reach out and put hands on them and speak a word to them, pause and pray with them sometimes. And they'd give, and there were a couple leaders at the front. And we would pray some things into them and out of them and mostly just pray a blessing over them. It was interesting to hear the people stand there and declare who they were. And some of them, one or two things they knew they needed to leave behind. Some, it was six or eight things. There was a young, one young chap who went on for 15 minutes. It was just like he ranted. He was just exploding with all this stuff he wanted to get out of him. I wanted to cut him off. The guy beside me had better discernment than me. He goes, it's necessary for him. Let him go a little longer. And after a little over 15 minutes, he finally stopped and I said, is that all? And as he came forward, it was just amazing to see. By the time it was done, all of the Germans walked down through the, the row. All the Swiss did. Everybody there did. It took us over four hours. 
But that's not the best part. The best part was what happened over the next few weeks. Over the next few weeks, I think we got emails from everybody. But more than that, back in New York, at the grad school, I had profs just come into my office. Didn't set up an appointment, came in uninvited. Sit down in the chair and go, tell me what happened in Germany. Say, why? But what do you want to know? They'd say, one of, the, one of the guys in my class, or sometimes my teaching assistant, it's like he went over as a boy and he came back as a man. Like, what did you do over there? Nobody produces that kind of life change. We have them for two or three years, we don't produce that kind of life change. How do people change that much in one week? What happened in Germany? And I wanted to say to them, what happens in Germany stays in Germany. It didn't seem, didn't seem that appropriate. And I just said, it's, it's the power of experience. It's the power of ceremony. It's the power of declaring before God and everybody else, here's what I want to leave behind and here's what I need to move forward. One more installment of this. It was funny. Over the next couple of weeks, several of the women were asked to speak at women's luncheons and stuff. And they would call off in the middle of the day on a Saturday and go, I don't know what it is. Like, women twice my age are asking me to pray with them and meet with me. The young man who ranted forever, he was asked the next Saturday to speak at their men's breakfast. And he called me and he said, Martin, I don't know what's going on here. He said, guys are coming up to me twice my age. He goes, I'm 26. Guys were in their 40s, 50s. They're older than my dad. And they were asking me to, like, pray for them. He said, what's going on here? I said, there are people who sit in church week after week who know in their heart, they know it's time to change. They've just got to decide, what do I leave behind and what do I embrace? Folks, this is Easter week, 07. Let me just do one application. Next Sunday here at Whiffers, we're going to do a baptismal service. I'm willing to bet we have people sitting here in this audience who, much like Pharaoh, have used the word tomorrow a number of times in their life, even when it comes to baptism. I want to say to you, why not make Easter 07 your year of publicly before God Publicly declaring, I want to lead a new life in Christ and follow the Lord in waters of baptism. It's one good application. For the rest of you, take this week, Easter week, and carefully think through what is there to leave behind and what is there to embrace. And then next Sunday, we'll offer you an exchange of what you're going to leave behind in the new life in Christ to take with you. Pray with me, please. Father, thanks for not giving up on us. Thanks for reminding us again and again and again why Christ came. Lord, today and this week, let's just be a great week of life change. A week of celebrating all that Christ is and has done in this world and in us. We simply say thank you as your children. Amen. Two things as we finish. I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment. I've asked you for this next week to really consider what life change is going to look like for you for Easter Sunday. But if today would be as an installment, you just go, look, I want to get started early. As we sing, please feel free to respond. Let's take this week, celebrate Easter next week together. Please stand with me.